What's up, guys? This is the Chase Down. I'm your host, JP Carey, alongside with my co-host, Ben. What's going on, everybody? And today we have some halfway point awards to give out. Uh, we're halfway through the season. Most teams, I think every team now, has played exactly half of their games. So we have to look back at what's already happened in the season and hand out some awards. So we're going to start in an Oscars-style um award show with the best leading role i'm gonna start this one off and ben's gonna follow after i'm gonna give the best leading role to lebron james and i am not a lebron stan i'm not one of these guys who follows his every move and praises everything he does i'm not one of those people but what he's doing right now is truly unprecedented we've never seen it happen in the league's history um, he's in year 19, averaging 27, 8, and 8 um, on great efficiency. He's shooting the most threes he's ever shot in his career, and he's shooting them at a better clip than Steph Curry is right now. You wouldn't expect that. Um, and he's surrounded by a bunch of bumps. And if he wasn't on this team, they would be, what, tied with the OKC Thunder for record? So I just think this is one of the most heroic just throw the team on my back performances I've ever seen. And it's coming from a player at age 37 in year 19. I've never seen anything like it. And I don't think we will ever see anything like it again. Yeah, I think that's uh, perfectly said. Nobody in the NBA is ever going to do this again. That like he's averaging 29 points a game. Um, the most points he's averaged a game since his what last year in Cleveland. Um, first year in Miami, like it's been a very long time since he's been putting up these kind of numbers. Uh, and you know, as hard as he tries, his team just cannot help him get any sort of wins. Um, my answer is very similar, same sort of thing. We got one guy basically carrying the entire load of a team. Um, I have Nikola Jokic and I think he, he deserves a bit more recognition. I mean, I don't know about that. LeBron deserves all the recognition in the world for this, but his team sucks. Yeah. Um, Jokic is doing this with out his second best score without his third best score. Um, and with a bunch of scrubs and a bunch of like 10 day contracts. Um, and he's still putting up, you know, pretty much the best numbers he's ever put up. He's slightly dipped on efficiency. He's slightly dipped on assists, but that's because he doesn't have the guys that he can throw to like he usually does. Um, shooting 36% from three, 25 points, 14 boards, and seven assists a game. Uh, he's the leading assist guy in the NBA at the center position, uh, three and a half assists ahead of Joel Embiid, and he's playing good defense this year. Um, he's never been an athlete. He's not chasing guys down for blocks, but he's getting in the way, and he's forcing people to kick out to the wing, um, and he's playing passable defense on centers. If you thought last year's Nikola Jokic was impressive, he's doing the same thing this year, but he knows how to play defense. Yeah, and people just, they don't talk about it too much because the team's pretty underwhelming. And quite honestly, they're not extremely exciting to watch. I mean, Jokic is a must-watch player, but the supporting cast is extremely boring. You have guys like Bones Highland every once in a while who will make a splash, or Aaron Gordon will have the occasional 20-point game. But other than that, I mean... It's it's pretty annoying to watch, quite honestly. But 
Jokic is ex- you're exactly right. He's having an MVP season, almost a duplicate of what he did last year, except now he has one of the highest defensive ratings in the entire league. He has some of the best hands at the center position in terms of poking balls away. And people just don't like to drive on him because he's, he smacks down every single layup attempt, not blocks. Like he strips the layups um, when people go up for him. So yeah, I'm with you. He, he definitely deserves to be in the contention for best leading role this season. He's played unbelievable. Yeah, man. And there's, there's other guys doing similar things, but on teams that are a little bit better. Um, My first thought here went to Giannis. But yeah. I mean, the Bucks are a well-rounded team without yeah. him. Yeah. Um, the Nuggets and the Lakers, man. I mean, if you're watching any of those games, you know how painful it is uh, to watch these minutes with LeBron off the floor and the Jokic off the floor. Even with both of them on the floor, it's tough watching them pass to guys on two-way contracts and ten-day deals who just brick three after three after three. Yeah. Um, LeBron, I've at this this sort of carrying is unreal like it's hard to put into words how impressive the carry job that he has had to do is um who knows how any of that'll change when anthony davis gets back and the same for the nuggets when jamal murray and michael porter jr get back whenever that happens um but for now man they're keeping their team afloat they they both be toilet teams bottom bottom of the west without both of those two guys 100 percent. i think both are deserving of the ward Let's move on to the next category, the best supporting cast. I'm going to take this one. I think this is a runaway winner, Memphis, pretty mm-hmm. easily. Uh, John Morant is obviously unbelievable. He has a case to be made that he's been a first-team All-NBA type player this season, but this is the deepest team in the league. And when John Morant went out, they were 10-2, and two, and they have the most quality NBA players on a roster out of every single team in the league. We've talked about this on the podcast before. You go through one through 12, all of them are quality NBA players. There's no minutes on the court where you're like picking out a guy for being especially horrible. Um, As Celtics fans, we have had to experience this. As a Cavs fan, I've had to experience this last year. Um, This team doesn't have any of that. You're comfortable with new guys who haven't played in three days getting minutes on the court because they can contribute and not blow it for the team so I think it's a pretty runaway winner for the Memphis Grizzlies yeah it, it's it's pretty obvious that Memphis Grizzlies have the best top-down 10-man lineup in the NBA um, I don't even think they are the 10 most talented players on any team in the NBA it's just the way that they play together mixed with the coaching of Taylor Jenkins um, has just got this team they just play in a very very hard intense way Um, unlike most teams in the regular season, I think a well, or, you know, an honorable mention second place is Miami heat. Yes. Um, they have been missing bam for a lot of games. They've been missing Jimmy Butler for a lot of games and they are getting the same way. Miami always does. They are getting excellent production from their sixth, seventh, eighth, ninth, 10th man on the bench. Uh, PJ Tucker right now has played almost every game and he's shooting 47% from the three point line on three attempts a game. Um, He's putting up some of the best numbers he's put up in a while. And, you know, the Kyle Lowry just helps keep things afloat. And then you've got like really, really underrated guys like Max Struess and Omer Yurtsevin 
and uh, Gabe Vincent. These are a lot of guys who nobody cares about, but they are helping keep this team afloat without Jimmy Butler. Um, and I, you know, props, all the props in the world to them for that. Yeah. And I would even throw Tyler Hero into that category just yeah. because we came off last year thinking he kind of took a step down. Me and you thought he would have a bounce back year. I don't know if we expected 20 points, 38% from three some playmaking in his game and being the go-to scorer on a team for like a three-week stretch when Jimmy Butler and Bam were out and Mm -hmm. doing very well. So, I mean, you're absolutely right. This Miami Heat team is built for lasting. They can withstand injury because of the depth they have. Um, The Heat and the Grizzlies have a very similar case, but with Memphis's just rapid pace and their huge win streak, I think they deserve it over Miami. Yeah, I think the point that you made about John Morant being, you know, potentially first team all NBA this year and the fact that the Grizzlies were able to go 10 and three without him um, is is stupid. It's impressive. Uh, You just go like go through and look at the players that they get production out of. Jarrett Culver, who if you've ever watched him, does not look like he knows what he's doing, has gotten some productive minutes. They've gotten some productive minutes out of him in some of these games. Mm -hmm. Uh, Zaire Williams, their recent draft pick, before he got COVID, looked absolutely lost basically at all points of the game. And if you've seen him the past four or five games, he's getting his confidence up. They're involving him in dunks. They're involving him. They're throwing oops for him. They're throwing corner threes for him to hit. Um, the, the way that they build up confidence around their guys, around their like supporting cast, I, I think it's some of the best in the league. And this is what makes John ja Morant so different than a guy like Russell Westbrook, James Harden, Luca, these guys who just pound the ball into the floor. Jaws okay sitting in the corner. Jaws okay being a cutter. Jaws okay being a screener. This allows the guys around him to build their confidence, contribute, and feel like they actually have a spot on this team. You can see the love this team has for each other too. And I think it's because they all get to contribute. They're all having fun and they're winning games. So I just think all in all, this is like the perfect unit. I love how this team has come together over the past year. Um, yeah, I, th- I think they deserve this award for sure. Agreed. And, you know, even though Jaw is okay sitting on the, uh, sitting in the, the outskirts, sitting on the perimeter and watching plays develop and watching their guys get shots, everybody in Memphis knows when it's time to win the game, you put the ball in Jaw's hands and he's going to make something happen. And there's no clash about it. There's no role player wanting to take a hundred shots. There's none of that. Like Mm -hmm. the Hawks, the Hawks have to deal with that with Cam Reddish and John Collins. They wanted the end of game shots because they thought they were better than they were. It's clear that Trey Young's the best player, but the egos of the role players are interfering with that. Memphis has to deal with none of that. Jaron Jackson knows his role. Dylan Brooks knows his role. Desmond Bain knows his role. That whole team knows exactly why they're there and what they're supposed to contribute. So there's no friction. It's all vibes. It's all winning. And it's amazing. Yeah, 100% agree. Let's move on to the next one. So the next one's a little weird because you guys can't see what we're talking about, but it's the best jersey of the season. Um, Obviously, we have new jerseys come out every single year, but my favorite jersey from this season is the Minnesota Timberwolves 75th anniversary I think it's super cool. It's got the little trees on it. And I I just think it it pays homage to like the KG era Mm -hmm. of Minnesota while also being a little bit new school. Big fan of that one. 
Yeah, I like that. I like uh, there's a couple of uh, jerseys that have gone that direction with paying homage to, you know, some of the best teams and players of their generation of their era. Um, I like the Toronto Raptors 75th anniversary jersey a lot. Um, just reminds me of the, the Vince Carter Toronto Raptor days. Um, the Spurs have some really, really neat colors going on with their jersey. Phoenix always has a really, really cool jersey. Utah's got some crazy gradient stuff that they always do. Um, I'm going to go with either Toronto or Phoenix. I, I love Phoenix so much. I love the way that I love the gradient that they have on theirs. Yeah, for Phoenix, I've been hunting for a Phoenix Suns Charles Barkley jersey for years now, and I cannot find it. But those are the coolest freaking jerseys. And that black mixed with the purple and some orange in there, it's its a guaranteed win every single jersey they come out with. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> Agreed. Yeah, that was, that was a, that was a uh, quick one. I wanted to throw that one in there. But we're going to go to biggest newcomer. And I'm going to start with this one. I'm a little biased here, but I do think it is the Cleveland Cavaliers. Um, They're hot on the scene. No one saw it coming. Um, They've popped into the playoff contention, and I think they're there to stay. I don't think this is a fluke at all. Darius Garland should be an all-star. Jared Allen should be an all-star. Evan Mobley is most likely rookie of the year. I think over a summer, this team became a playoff contender who's going to be there for the foreseeable future. And they just picked third in the NBA lottery. So in one summer, they went from bum team to playoff contender. I just think it's a huge, huge credit to Kobe Altman, who I haven't exactly loved over the last few years, and J.B. Bickerstaff, who's a great coach, in my opinion. Um, I just think what a way to turn around a franchise in such a short time. And looking forward, you have very notable pieces to build around with Mobley, Allen, and Garland. It's so it's going to be so much easier to make this team a contender because there's very specific roles you need to fill. We need a forward who can play defense and shoot threes. And then we need more ball handlers on the bench. And then you're good. I mean, obviously add depth as you go along, but there are very specific things this team needs. And it's going to be a challenge to put them back into that place. But if they can figure the the other pieces out around that team, I think, I think they're there forever. Yeah. And, and you have to give all of the credit in the world to the way that they've been able to keep this ship afloat, despite the injuries that they're dealing with. And despite like the kind of newcomers that they got to bring onto the scene. Um, Colin Sexton went out 11 games into the season. He was showing, an ability to be an off-ball guard, an ability to wreck people in transition, to use that just bull in a china shop mentality to just blow by guys in transition and get to the hoop Um, and to lose a little bit of his ego. And then he went out and then Ricky Rubio went out with a torn ACL. Um, They brought in Rondo. It's just every... It's, it's like the Grizzlies, every player that steps onto the floor just wants to play for this team and plays hard. And I, I just need to give all the credit in the world to, for Kevin Love being back, being back. I love watching Kevin Love play. Um, he's always been kind of useless on defense, but he's just such a sniper. And it's, it's really cool just watching him run around the floor and catch and pop a three and just, it, it's, it seems demoralizing. I love the way they play top to bottom. Yeah, it's it's been quite a year for the Cavs because you lose, like you mentioned, you lose your leading scorer 11 games into the season. That How do you come back from that most of the time? You're probably going to 
be a lot worse than you thought you were going to be. Instead, they persevere. Ricky Rubio comes into the starting lineup sometimes. He finishes games for them all the times, and then he goes down, but they still keep winning. They're so deep. They care about defense more than most teams that I watch, and they're just uniquely built with the three seven-footers. It throws teams off, and they don't really know what to do about it. Um, yeah, I, I think the Cavs deserve this award, even though I'm a little bit biased. I have my own biased answer for who I think deserves this award, and that's the Chicago Bulls. Very fair. Um, you know, I, I saw this coming. I have been yelling as loud as I can to nobody in particular, except for you, um, about how the Bulls need to get a playmaker and they need to get another scorer next to Zach Levine. And then they went and got Lonzo and DeMar. And it was exactly what they needed. Um, They have had 13 different people start games for them this season because of the injuries that they've been dealing with and because of all the shuffling around they've been doing with their lineup. And they're the first seed in the East right now. Um, It's, it's, I mean, they're tied now with the nets, but one less than the loss column. Um, It's stupid. It's so impressive how they were able to go from, you know, one of the most frustrating talented teams in the East last year to what they are right now. They were a team that could not win a fourth quarter to save their life last year. Every single possession was, we're going to give the ball to Zach Levine. And even though he's not a playmaker, we're going to hope that he just scores for us. Um, He's not going to be able to kick it to anybody. He's just going to drive or he's going to do a pull-up three. Um, And now they've got actual offense. And now that the team's winning, they all buy in on defense. Even though they're not great, there's effort there. I think that their story is so impressive, just like the Cavs are. They're both a team that really came out of nowhere. Yeah, no, and I remember the first year we did the podcast together, how many mornings we would hop on and say, if only the Bulls had a playmaker, if they had Ricky Rubio, if they had Lonzo Ball, we would say that over and over again because we had guys like Kobe White and Zach Levine handling the ball in the fourth quarter. Zach Levine's a very, very talented player. He's not exactly a guy I want running pick and roll and making decisions for me in late in games. He's, he's the guy I want to score, not to set up other guys to score. Right. So like you said, they added Lonzo Ball, who's a perfect fit. And they added DeMar DeRozan, who's also a perfect fit. And yeah, you can't get a better result than this. Honestly, like, I think this is one of the most shocking outcomes of the season because I'm not a huge believer in Nikola Vucevic. I'm just not as a defender and as an offensive player. I'm just not sure what he is in the league. I don't know how seriously to take him, but he clearly adds a lot of value to this team. And it's all four of those players that I just mentioned put together alongside Alex Caruso is a playoff ready lineup. They are going to be hard to take out. And I don't know. I've just been super impressed for them to have the one seed. I don't know if anyone could have predicted that. I definitely didn't see it coming. Um, I had them pretty high. I had them, I think I had them as like the fifth or sixth seed. Um, Yeah. Going into this year. And I thought, I mean, and me and you argued about that. You thought they'd be like fighting for a playing spot. Um, You know, the underrating of DeMar DeRozan needs to stop. I think this is the last year that that goes on for. Um, He was voted by GMs and executives this season as the worst move of the off season. Yeah. Um, signing DeMar DeRozan. And I'm, I love that that looks stupid, stupid now. Yeah. Um, you know, every team needs a clutch guy like that. Every team needs a guy where he can pass out of a double team. He can drive into the lane and score from the mid range. Um, he's not a three point shooter, but 
you know, you saw those back-to-back three-point buzzer beaters. He can hit them when they matter. Um, I just, I can't give more respect to DeMar DeRozan. I can't give less respect to DeMar DeRozan. He's amazing. I do love DeMar DeRozan. I am very, very curious to see if this heads, like, keeps going in the playoffs. Mm. Because the Toronto debacles with DeMar DeRozan are very noted. And yeah. same thing with Kyle Lowry. And Kyle Lowry fixed his reputation in the finals run that he had with Kawhi. He had huge games in very important spots throughout that entire playoff run. DeMar hasn't had the chance to show us that because ever since he got to San Antonio, he hasn't been in the playoffs again. So this will be his shot to kind of right his wrongs of the past. So I'm still a little bit skeptical. I love what he's doing in the regular season, but I want to see some big moments. I want to see some big shots. I want to see some efficient games from him in the playoffs before I completely change my mind on him. I think that's fair. Um, and a quick note about Vucevic, he do the, the role change that he's had to go through this year. Um, he's definitely suffered his, all his numbers are down. All his efficiency is down. Um, and I, I think that's to be expected. I haven't heard a peep from him. I haven't heard much complaining and obviously they're the first seed. So if you're whining about touches as the first seed, you got problems. Yeah. Um, but I think the way that he's been able to shrink his role for, you know, he was a two-time all-star. Um, the fact that he can shrink his role and just be the, the fourth option sometimes on this team, I think is really impressive. I do too. I really do. I think it's, it speaks to his will to win. Mm-hmm. Um, we thought maybe that wouldn't even be there because he was on Orlando just getting his stats. And sometimes you question players like that, but he's made it clear that he does want winning above all. And um, I think they're a very interesting playoff team. Obviously, we're very far away, but what they've shown us in the regular season is that they can play defense and offense. I want to see if that defense can hold up in the playoffs. I'm very skeptical of... DeMar DeRozan as a defender and Vucevic as a defender. I'm, I'm sold on Zach Levine when he tries. I saw it in the Olympics. So I saw the potential. So if he's willing to do that in the playoffs, I believe in it. We know Caruso's great. We know Lonzo Ball's great. It comes down to DeMar and Vucevic and how teams are going to try to pick on them. I'm super excited to watch them later on in the year. Me too, man. Feel the same way about the Cavs. They have such a unique style of basketball. It's going to be really cool to see how that works in the playoffs. Um, I think we should move on to the, the new next category. And that's the biggest disappointment of the year. Um, I'm going to start with, I think there should be a team award and a player award. Yes. Um, and when you're going by teams, man, there are unfortunately a lot of teams that I could list. Um, I'm, I'm looking through four right now. And as a Homer, I want to say the Celtics yeah. as someone who thought they were going to be the three seed. I want to say the Celtics, but I'm actually going to go with the Atlanta Hawks. Yep. Um, I've heard a little bit of concerning stuff from Trey Young about how, man, like the regular season's just boring. Like now that I've been to the playoffs, uh, the regular season's just boring. You can't have that sort of opinion as a dude who's made at one time. Um, They've got basically the same lineup as they had last year, and they're below 500 by a considerable amount of games right now. Yep. and that doesn't look like there's any sort of changing that, man. It's an effort thing. It's an energy thing on this team. There's a bit of conflict where it doesn't seem like a lot of these guys really want to be together. They are dealing with a lot of COVID stuff, but like, you know, so is everybody. 
Um, and they just haven't found a way to win with, with any group of guys they can put together. Yeah, I'm with you. Um, I'm pretty sure me and you were both pretty high on them on our preseason rankings. I think I had them third in the East. Um, I've just been shocked, honestly, because they were so dominant against the Knicks. They wiped out the Knicks in the playoffs. It was not close. Um, they went on to face the Sixers, who everyone picked against them. I chose the Hawks to win, and they did um, in seven, obviously with the Ben Simmons stuff or whatever. And then I honestly think that Milwaukee Hawks series would have gone way, like it would have been way more competitive if Trey Young didn't slip on that ref's foot and like break his ankle, basically. Uh-huh. Um, I, I think that was going to be a dog fight and it didn't end up being that way because he got hurt. So they were almost a finals team and now they're out of the play-in. The, the drop in success is just super, super weird. And I talked about uh, a strategy to win for another team last year, the Grizzlies, to kind of compound all their role players and maybe trade it for a star. They held on to their role players and it's working for them. I think for Atlanta, you need to compound some role players and get them the hell out of there. There's too many people on this team that want to shoot first or want to score or want to be the lead ball handler or is upset with the way Trey is playing. There's too much drama for a team that's supposed to be so much better than they are. I think you get all the noise out of the locker room, ship them somewhere else for something in return and clarify roles for this guy, for these guys. I agree. Yeah, man. They just have too many shot first guards. Um, I think they did good by getting rid of Cam Reddish. Cam Reddish didn't want to be on the team in the first place. And he's a dude who is more potential than player. Um, The player that you think you're getting from him is so much better than the player he actually is for the most part. Um, Man, we talked so much last year about the potential for so many of these guys and the hype around so many of these guys. Onyeka Kongwu missed most of last regular season as a rookie and then came into the playoffs and was really doing impressive stuff against some of the better big men in the league. Um, And he's kind of been nowhere. You know, he's like, he's doing his role. He's trying his best, but like, there's nobody on this team right now. That's really impressing besides Trey Young. Yeah. And the inconsistent minutes throughout this lineup is pretty interesting too because of the COVID stuff and because of that I totally get it but you get you have guys getting minutes they start start to succeed and then they get their spot taken away because the other guy comes back healthy and then they sit on the bench and they're like I was just as good as that guy why do I have to sit now Mm -hmm. and there's too much of that there's way too much of that this team's clearly talented I love Onyeka Kongwu you look at his minutes log, it's pretty inconsistent. And you look at his performances, they're pretty inconsistent. And I don't think that's a, a coincidence. I think the same thing with Cam Reddish. Despite how shot happy he is and despite how selfish he is, I think we might have seen a little bit more consistency from him if he had a determined role. Like you're the sixth man off the bench. You take the shots. You score the points for us off the bench. That wasn't his role. He had to fight with other guys for that role. So I just think you package shit and send them out. I think this team is probably the front runner for this award. I do want to give a honorable mention to the Indiana Pacers. Yeah. I had so much hope for this team. They have four above average players. Malcolm Brogdon, good player. Sabonis, all-star. Miles Turner, above average. Karis LeVert, above average. I thought those four players 
plus a quote-unquote good head coach in Rick Carlisle would make quote-unquote Hall of Fame coach. He's he. I'm not even sure he's a good head coach anymore. Right. Because he hasn't gone to the playoffs in 10 years since the 2011 run. And he's had talent come in and out of the building. He refuses to develop to develop young players. And he is using Sabonis in the most questionable way, I think, imaginable. Um, he's just giving him less three uh, post touches and making him more of a three point shooter when he sucks at three point shooting and he's great in the post makes no sense at all. Um, this is one of the weirder things I've seen. And you have everyone upset on this team. No one wants to be there. They clearly don't like being in Indiana anymore. They don't like playing with each other. They don't like management and they don't like the head coach. It's a, it's another uh, garbage fire. And I thought that was done with once Bjorkren rock walked out of the door, but honestly, it's the same team as last year. And it's, it's pretty disappointing for me. Yeah, they were headed towards like a blow up um, pretty soon. And then unfortunately for them, I think in the long run, Lance Stevenson saved them from that. Um, he brought a couple days of like, you know, some of the highest energy a player can bring to a team. And he elevated that team higher than they had been, brought their spirits up higher than they had been all season. Yeah. And unfortunately, I think that means that they're keeping this crew the way they are. But they're one in nine in their last 10 games, and they sit at 15 and 28. They're only five games better than the Pistons. Yeah. Um, I, I know what you're saying because I could feel it through the screen. Lance doing all the shit and making all the boys happy or whatever. But they've lost too much. And we've had Miles Turner complain multiple times in the media that I'm a better player than they think I am and they're not using me the way I should be used. There's a reason he's been on the trade block for three years. You know, it's it's time to blow this thing up. It's time to forget about playoff hopes for them. Yeah, unfortunately, I thought this was going to be their year. They're always a team that it feels like without an injury or two that this was going to be their year to make, get into the playoffs and make some sort of noise. Um, and I think I'm, I just got to, like, accept that that's not happening. As talented as DeMontis Sabonis can be, his build and his play style is not really tailored towards the, the NBA the way it is today. And I also think it's kind of one of those things where if you get LeBron on your team, you have to create the team around LeBron. I know Sabonis isn't even close to the player LeBron is, but it's a similar thing. He has a very unique skill set. And to get the most out of it, you kind of have to craft the team directly around his needs. Yeah. And how do you do that is the problem. He can't play defense. He and is a 6'11 man who cannot guard centers. So they try to keep Miles Turner around because at least he can put up really nice blocks and at least he can play solid, sturdy defense on big men. Um, and then he's not an efficient three-point shooter. So the paint just gets clogged. And then they've got, you know, guys like Justin Holiday, who they need to rely on. Karis LeVert has sucked. Yeah. Uh, Malcolm Brogdon kind of sucked a little bit this year from a uh, efficiency standpoint. Yeah. Um, there's really not a lot to hope for for this team. I think a blow-up's coming pretty soon. Yeah, the trade deadline's in a month. I would expect at least two of these players to be moved. Is TJ Warren still on this team? He hasn't played a minute yet this season. Yeah, I don't. I thought the foot injury was because he was trying to avoid the head coach of last year, and there were reports kind of confirming that, but he still hasn't played. So I'm not entirely sure what the deal is with that. January 2nd of this year, he was put in health and safety protocols. 
Um, but before that, he hadn't played a minute. I'm not okay. really sure what's going on, but it really seems like nobody wants to be in Indiana. Yeah, and um, I think change definitely will be coming because obviously the fans know no, the players don't want to be there. They have the lowest attendance in the league by far. Mm-hmm. And that's basketball country, Indiana, basketball country. And no one gives a shit about the NBA team. That's really bad. That's really, really bad. And the thing about this team is they have tried to be an entertaining, mediocre team for a long time. They haven't tried to take any big home runs. They haven't tried to tank. They've said, like, you know, we're going to be an 8-10 to 10 seed um, just for years in the hope that that keeps people around. And I think the lack of hope that this team is ever going to be anything more than that has started to drive fans away. And I, but I, what I think is strange is they were a four and five seed for multiple years with a similar core. Mm -hmm. Then all of a sudden it's not that team anymore. It makes no sense to me because it's the same fucking players. And the only thing that's changed is the head coach, Nate McMillan, who I thought was a fantastic head coach. And he did it. He showed us last year with the Hawks. Um, then you brought in that Bjorkren guy, who's one of the worst head coaches in NBA history. Then you bring in Rich Carlisle, who I'm not sure is a good head coach. I think it's just wearing thin on the players, the constant turnaround. And the Sabonis point that I brought up, you have to build the team around him. I think the team's almost perfectly built around him. That's what confuses me because you have a guy like Miles Turner who can play defense on fives and shoot threes. That's exactly what you need, spacing and defense. You have Malcolm Brogdon and a a super efficient playmaker and three-point shooter. This year, he hasn't performed that way, but that's who he is over his career. Mm -hmm. I I just don't understand the struggles. And I think it's absolutely time to collect draft picks, send them to contenders to hopefully bolster their championship chances. And then there you go. Like Charlotte is begging for Miles Turner. They have been for the last year and a half. If you can get two lightly protected first round picks or one protected uh, lightly protected first round pick for miles turner send that shit their way it's worth it you want to be bad and you want picks to it's time to blow it up i i totally agree yeah you can't keep hoping that just like leaving miles turner on the trade block every year isn't gonna mess with his morale in a way that's gonna really destroy your team because it already has um it's, it's time for them to blow it up and just kind of be forgotten for a couple of years and get a couple of high draft picks and try to start turning this around. And unfortunately, I think the Rick Carlisle experiment is a failure. How does he get another head coaching job? Like, I don't how, know. He's going to stay with the Pacers for the next like five years. But af- let's say after his tenure is done. How do you, in confidence, give him an NBA head coaching job? He had one of the top 30 players of all time drag his fucking team to beat one of the most stacked teams of all time. It's one of the greatest moments in NBA history. Mm-hmm. Is it? I think it's reasonable to think that Coach Carlisle was just along for the ride and had no impact on the entire thing. I, I really don't know, man. Uh, the last, like what is it decade of basketball that we've seen him coach we've definitely not been impressed um he's not a good tank commander he's not the guy that you want coaching your team when you've got a bunch of young guys that don't have any hopes um because he's kind of just an ass like he's not a coach that players like he seems like he's got good x's and o's it seems like he has mentally a good understanding of basketball but he can't get guys to like him 
Nope. Um, and I don't know what the point of that sort of coach is like up until a certain point, you know, take all of the X's and O's, take the sort of game plans that he can give you, but you don't want to stick with that kind of coach for years. No, especially when you're trying to develop young talent, which we've gone over. He just can't do for whatever reason or doesn't right. want to do. Right. So, yeah, I think I think Indiana and Atlanta are definitely the biggest disappointments for this year. Yeah. What about uh, players? Do you have any players that stand out for you as just the biggest disappointments of the year? I mean, I think there's an obvious one. Um, and I will you know, expose myself a little bit as a moron who thought that the Russell Westbrook Laker experiment was going to work out. Um, I thought that this was going to be his chance to just carry this team through the regular season. I thought, you know, the turnovers are always going to be high. It's Russell Westbrook. Um, but he loves hero ball, man. And if LeBron James wants to take a couple possessions off, Russell Westbrook eats lot, like loves that shit. Um, and I thought it was going to work out. I thought it was going to, they were going to be above 500. Um, I thought that Russ was going to be a productive player. And the thing I didn't realize is just how much his ability to be a good basketball player relies on his athleticism. Um, you know, when he can't blow by every single guy that stands in front of him, they don't have to guard him very close. I mean, they can let him take those awful threes that he likes taking. Um, there really just hasn't been a lot that's good about Russell Westbrook's play in LA. He's had like four or five good games, but that's it. Yeah. Everyone knows my thoughts on Russell Westbrook. I don't know how he's a basketball player. I've said this a million times. He's one of the greatest athletes to ever lay a foot on the earth we stand on, but he has no idea what he's doing out there. Um, He's not one of my biggest disappointments because it's exactly what I expected from them Mm -hmm. or him. I thought I had the Lakers as my preseason number one seed in the West because I thought LeBron and AD could play in spite of Russell Westbrook because they're so talented. My biggest disappointment is Westbrook's uh, teammate, Anthony Davis. Anthony Davis, when he was playing, was awful. You can never rely on him to stay healthy. He was the worst qualified jump shooter in the entire league. You have to think about how bad that is he's shooting enough attempts to qualify and he's shooting 19 from three and he's shooting horribly on all jump shots as well the only reason his field goal efficiency looks decent is because he gets so many lobs and so many drives to the hoop every single jump shot he took while he was playing was clanking off the rim he didn't even look like himself you've been on this for a few years you don't think anthony davis is a great jump shooter I didn't think he was a great jump shooter, but he's better than what he was doing this year. And because of his injury proneness and because of his horrible jump shooting, the Lakers can't overcome Russell Westbrook. If late, if LeBron was playing the way he's playing right now, mixed with prime Anthony Davis that we saw in the bubble, they would be a top three seed. That's not a question in my mind. It's Anthony Davis sucking and Russell Westbrook sucking that's making this team so hard to win yes and prime anthony davis relies on him wanting to be that dude like he's got some of the most talent out of any big man in basketball like he is really he could be up there as the best big man in basketball if he was consistent and he wanted to be no one can tell me Giannis is more talented than anthony davis 
no one can tell me it. Giannis works harder. Giannis is, he gives a shit more on defense and he cares more on offense. There isn't a minute that Giannis is on the floor that he is not giving his absolute all. And you don't see that from Anthony Davis. I guess it might be a product of uh, all of his bones being made out of glass. Um, and the fact that he can't take a hard hit without breaking anything. Yeah. Um, and Giannis is just like, we saw him hyper extend his knee and then come back the next week. Giannis is a freak. Um, I don't, I don't know what it is, but the effort, I even think when AD is healthy and he comes back when they're like middle of the pack fighting for play in spots, I don't think we're going to see high effort, hundred percent effort, Anthony Davis. Yeah, I don't either. I think he favors injuries. I think injuries really, really worry him because he's had to deal with them so frequently throughout his career. Mm-hmm. Um, when he was playing career low in free throw percentage, career row career low in three-point percentage um yeah it's uh it's not looking good for the lakers in any aspect um i thought last year was a fluke because they had dealt with so many injuries but at some point in time injuries become a part of your identity as a team and as a player obviously with anthony davis we know it's a part of his identity being injury prone i mean that's that's been his entire career um it sucks, but it's so funny. I'm looking at his numbers here. He averaged 23 and 10. It's yeah. the quietest, least impactful 23 and 10 in the league. It could be 29 and 15 pretty easily. Yeah. And, and I think that's what frustrates because we see Joel Embiid put up 30 points and 14 rebounds every single night and take 14 free throws every single night. Mm-hmm. Why can't Anthony Davis do that? We see Giannis put up 47, 16 and 10 in a game. Why can't Anthony Davis do that? We just, we have to recognize that he doesn't have the drive that these other guys have. And maybe, maybe that's just what his career is from now on. Maybe LeBron's doesn't only have to drag Westbrook, but he also has to drag Davis, which is just insane to even say out loud, but it's something we have to consider. Yeah. I mean, there's a, it's, it all started as kind of jokes on Twitter, but I think there's a, like, not too small of a chance that LeBron ends up bailing and going back to Cleveland. They're having more fun over there. Yeah. I've seen it on Twitter as a Cleveland fan. I hope that doesn't happen because they'd have to give up all their assets and then they would be instantly in championship win mode. Mm -hmm. Um, But honestly, like as a, like if I'm LeBron James, I look at my current situation with aging players all around me, players who suck players who don't try And then I look over at Cleveland where I was born with a budding superstar in Evan Mobley, a guard who's very similar to what Kyrie did in Cleveland. He could have a guy who could ball handle for him when he doesn't feel like it. It's a perfect situation for her to him just hop back into. But as a Cleveland fan, I'm, I'm, I'm hoping that doesn't happen. Yeah. Yeah. I'm with you. Um, Let's move on to our most underrated performers of the year. Um, I think, you know, we kind of covered this with teams. The Grizzlies are kind of, I mean, are the Grizzlies underrated anymore? They were to start the year. Are we talking about teams that are underrated right now? We can do both. I'll, I'll start with a player. We can do okay. a player and a team we, or you can choose either or. Okay. But I want to go Cade Cunningham. And I know how can a number one overall pick be underrated? Well, if you look at his stats, you'll find out exactly how um, his efficiency is pretty terrible, quite honestly. Um, He's shooting 39% from the floor and 32% from three. But what you don't realize is that he started his career shooting 20% from three and 29% from the floor. 
he has been excellent for quite some time now. I think it's like a six week stretch where he's averaging like 18, six and six on insane efficiency from the floor. Um, I, I just really, really like his game. And I watch a lot of Pistons begrudgingly because the rest of the team sucks, but Cade is so fun to watch. Um, he's just rock solid everywhere. And I know we talked a little bit about him last episode, but I think as a number one overall pick, he's been underrated because we got, we have guys like Evan Mobley, Scotty Barnes, Josh Giddy, Franz Wagner. They're all performing extremely, extremely well. And they did it right away, right? There was no learning period for them. There was no training wheels for them. They got on the court and they were good right away. For Cade, he needed the training wheels, but that doesn't mean he's not going to be just as good, if not better than some of these guys I previously mentioned. So I think next year, if the Pistons get another decent draft pick, they're a team that should garner more attention and people should tune in to watch. Yeah, no, I think it's it's totally fair. Cade is really going to start putting this team on the map um, because he does everything at a B plus or above level. Um, he really is just such an all around great player. And now that the shot's starting to fall, he's starting to build up more confidence. There's starting to be like a bit of a morale boost going on with this team. Um, for a team that's as bad as it is, it seemed like they like playing with each other a lot more than they did to start the season. And I'm going to make a comparison that might seem strange to our listeners. I see a lot of Damian Lillard and Clay Thompson and Cade Cunningham. And I know that's like a, those are two hall of fame players, but I saw Cade dribble up to Giannis and hit a three in his face to close the game. And he didn't smirk. He didn't do anything. He just walked back to the team and to the bench. And I was like, how many rookies don't freak out in that moment? How many rookies are totally comfortable taking that shot in a two-time MVP's face, former champion finals MVP, and just sink it and just not even give a shit. I, I, there's a calmness to him and a confidence, a quiet confidence to him that Clay and Dame both have because Clay and Dame go into games thinking, I'm better than these other guys, but they don't overly shout it. They don't say it at the top of their lungs to other players. They just kind of have it internally. And I think I feel that from Cade. Mm-hmm. I, yeah, it's definitely you get like a sense that he is a leader. He is a lead by example. Um, everybody stay calm and follow me. We're going to be all right type of player. Um, and obviously the Pistons aren't good enough for that to lead anywhere yet. Um, <clears throat> but, you know, they're going to start racking up high round, high level draft picks. And if you just surround him, if you put like another really, really talented player next to him, I think they will make a pretty big leap. Um, my most underrated player might be sound a bit stupid because I think at the moment he's leading the MVP charts, um, but it's Giannis. Um, I we're seeing a version of Giannis that is more comfortable all over the floor than he has ever been. He's doing stuff right now that is, you know, preparing him for the playoffs. He's taking some of these second quarter, third quarters of games, like not very seriously on offense. He's got some, not that he's not taking it seriously, but there's moments where if he wanted to, he could just, you know, spin on a dude, Euro step a dude and dunk it. But instead he's trying his hand at mid range shots. He's trying fadeaways. He's trying pull-ups um, and they're starting to go in at a higher rate than we've seen from him in the past. He hit 17 of 17 free throws the other day. Um, his average, his free throw average is higher than it's been in three years. Um, 
that winning that chip, I think gave him a lot of confidence to just be himself at all times. Um, and I really think there's a chance he gets a third MVP this year. I, I think that's a good call because he's not getting the talk that he once was. Um, I don't think he has a shot at MVP personally. I, I think people are just kind of done with Giannis, which sounds so stupid, but it was kind of like the Steph Curry thing up until this year. Like he won his two uh, MVPs, he won his championships, and then he seemingly like wasn't ever in the case to win an MVP again until just last year. Mm-hmm. I think there's going to be some of that with Giannis. Like he's accomplished every single thing you can accomplish as a player. I think the talk with him has just quieted down because of that, but I think you're right. I think it's clear with KD being injured, he's the best player in the league for the next four to six weeks whenever KD's out. Um, He's just labbing his game. He's getting ready for the playoffs, like you were saying, and I would not want to see Milwaukee in the playoffs. Um, they're, They're falling down the rankings because they have injury and COVID stuff, and their record's not as good as it should be, but God forbid they fall down to the sixth seed and Miami has to face them in the first round or they fall to the, you know, fifth seed and then they have to face Milwaukee or something. You know what I mean? They're yeah. going to, whatever team they face is going to be very, very scared to do so. Yeah. I mean, they had a, they've had some tough stretches. They have some times where they're like going four or five wins in a row and then they'll get two losses out of three games and then they'll be back to a win streak. Um, they've been up and down a little bit. Um but they still, there's four teams in the West. The top four teams in the West or in the East right now all have 27 wins, and Milwaukee's one of them. Yeah. Um, so Milwaukee's lost a bit more than the rest of them. But I mean, win wise, they're still up there. Um, I I think you're right that there isn't enough conversation around Giannis because he's putting up 29, 11, and six while getting a steal and a block and a half a game. Um, those numbers on a team that's top three or four in the East should be an automatic MVP. Um, The impact that he has on defense and on offense is unlike anybody else in the NBA. The way that Rudy Gobert, like, is his entire team's defense, Giannis is that while being his entire team's offense. And they're a top seed. Yeah, no, he's one of the most unique players in the entire league with one of the most unique workloads in the entire league. The amount of responsibility they place on Giannis's shoulders is second to none because like you've said to me, KD is just as good as Giannis, but the responsibility he holds is less than Giannis. And I think that's why you have Giannis over KD at this current point. And I get that argument. And um, yeah, what Giannis does for the Bucks is more than kind of what any other player does for their team outside of maybe Jokic. So yeah. So um, for the most underrated team, this was a little bit trickier for me, but I want to say Toronto. Yeah, that's fair. I am a very, very, very big fan of Nick Nurse. Um, everyone thought the Raptors were going to completely fall off after Kawhi left. That did not happen for two years. It took a, a pandemic and an aging star in Kyle Lowry to kind of, in a fiasco with Pascal Siakam, to kind of sink this team. Um they're fighting back. They're scratching and clawing. They're slowly raising the rankings. Fred Van Vliet has been excellent. Pascal in the games he's played has been surprisingly good. No one's talking about Pascal Siakam's rebound. Um, Scotty Barnes, we've talked about him plenty. Um, this team is 
OG Ananobi, another great defender. Their whole team is filled with great on, on, on the perimeter defenders and they shoot threes and they move the ball and they play on point defense. They just need a center that can play defense. I would look out for them at the trade deadline for Miles Turner. If they get a shot blocker in the middle of that team, I think they could easily dethrone Cleveland or Philadelphia in their playoff spot. Um, I love the coach. I love the talent. I love the young, I love the young talent. Um, I, I think they're primed for a nice little run here if they get a center who can block some shots. Yeah, I think it's <clears throat> I think it's totally reasonable. They're such a strange team because I think half of their roster is six foot nine. Yes. Um, and they're all playing different positions. Um, they got some small forwards, some power forwards. They got, I mean, whatever Scotty Barnes is, they got forwards, centers, and guards that are all six foot nine. Um, and it's just, you know, it's so unusual. The way that they run out in transition is unusual. Um, yeah, right. Pascal Siakam deserves more credit. I have been very, very critical of him forever um, as a guy that gets a little bit too much credit. And I think it's gone in the opposite direction where people think he's just a bum. Um, yep. Fred Van Fleet, like he's he's putting up his case to be an all-star. It's, it's tough to make it in this year in the East. Garland should make it. LaMelo Ball should make it. Um, there's too many guards for the amount of spots, yep. but I mean, for what they've been able to do, Fred Van Fleet deserves his recognition. Um, Scotty Barnes deserves his recognition as a runner up for rookie of the year. Um, they are nobody, nobody in the entire world thought that they were going to be this talented this early. Um, my most underrated team, and I might have to sell you on this for a second is the new Orleans Pelicans. Okay. They started the season one and 12. And since that point, they've been a 500 team. They've gone 15 and 15, yeah. 15 and 13. Actually, they've been a bit above 500. Um, nobody cares because of how garbage they were at the beginning. Yeah. But Brandon Ingram is balling out the past month and a half, two months. He has been on fire from everywhere. Jonas Valanciunas has been on fire from everywhere. He's shooting 43% from the three-point line. Uh, Herb Jones, who was a you know rookie from the second round, is shooting 50, 40, 86 uh, in the past month, past 15 games, yeah. while playing some of the best defense from, I mean, a rookie especially, but just in the NBA, he is elite in his defense. Um, this is a team that I really think, you know, you drop Zion back in, if these guys can hold a 500-ish record and you drop Zion back into this team, if he ever comes back, and with the way the West is right now, they could go on a really, really crazy win streak. I don't disagree with you at all. And Brandon Ingram is one of those players that I want to see him on a winning team so badly because – he is a good stats, bad team guy, but there is a sense of like Zach Levine or Devin Booker in him where it's like, just get this guy in a good situation and we'll probably see some pretty great things from him. Um, his stats are very similar to Tatum's over the last five years, except Tatum's had a good organization around him and Brandon Ingram has been thrown around from a trash Lakers organization and a trash New Orleans Pelicans organization. So um, I would love to see Ingram on a winning team, but I think you're right. If you drop Zion, a projected NBA Hall of Famer, a first ballot slam dunk, one of the most unique talents we've ever seen, 
onto this team with a center who can shoot threes, a forward who can shoot threes, a point guard whose only skill is to shoot threes and Devontae Graham and Josh Hart who can defend the wing at ease. I mean, it's there. It's there. You can move Herb Jones to spot minutes or bench minutes, however you want to use them. It's there. The foundation is kind of there. It all comes down to Zion and whether he wants to play this year, whether he's physically capable to play this year, whether David Griffin gets his head out of his ass and actually treats Zion correctly. Mm -hmm. Who knows? We have no idea. But I think you're right. I think there's fight in this team. I think Willie Green, their head coach, was a good hire. Um, Obviously, he's not going to get credit for it because of the start they went out to. But to have these guys fight the way they're fighting after starting so poorly, I, I give credit to Willie Green and Brandon Ingram for that. I, I totally agree with you. Um, my one worry with this team, and it's a worry that I've said basically for as long as I've seen Brandon Ingram and Zion together, is that it seems like Brandon Ingram is not happy being the number two option. Because you watch him on this team right now, you watch him when he's clearly the number one, and you watch him like any clutch shot that they need taken, they put in his hands. Um, that decision gets completely removed from him whenever Zion steps on the floor and Brandon Ingram becomes a second option, no question. Yeah. Um, and I see him being pissed off about that. I see his effort level dipping a little bit. I see him not really trying on defense. And then I see him kind of accepting his role and spotting up towards the back of the three-point line. Um, and if that continues when Zion comes back, I don't know what to do, especially because like Brandon Ingram's the reason this team's afloat right now. Yeah. Um, you're going to have some, some issues if you immediately say like, Hey man, thanks for keeping us a 500 team. Go back to being a second option. Yeah. Um, in games they've played together, it's pretty clear that Brandon Ingram thinks he's a better player than Zion. So that definitely is an issue. Um, but if you can get them to buy into each other, if somehow Willie Green says, if you guys stay together, this team could be great, all that stuff, right? The pep talk. If that works, I do think they could take a play in spot from someone because the West is pathetic, quite honestly. Like it is. Portland is 17 and 25, and they're on the play in. They New Orleans could easily grab that spot. Minnesota, we know what they love to do. They love to disappoint. They love to lose games that they should win. They'll they could fall easily out of that, right? Yeah. The Clippers don't have Paul George or Kawhi for the next two and a half months. I mean, that spot is up for taking. So it really does come down to Zion. Do you want to get on the court? Do you want to compete? Do you want to play? Are you physically capable of that or not? Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, we'll see, man. The, the, they had an issue where his, his timetable got pushed back a little bit because of some setback he was having. Um, and they're pretty hush hush about what it all is. So we don't know when he's ever coming back. Um, and he, you know, is so, so injury prone already at the size that he moves at and the ability that he gets, he has to get off the floor. He is an injury risk always. Um, so there's always going to be a little bit of worry here with Zion on this team, but just on paper, man, they are a team that could do so well. And I mean, I, I, in terms of underrated teams, I don't think anybody's watching Pelicans games legitimately. No, on, and I, I'll be honest. I've only tuned into maybe one or two. I've noticed Brandon Ingram. I've noticed Herb Jones in the games I've watched, but I've heard most of this from articles and Twitter that I've mm-hmm. been seeing. But like, there's not a lot for me to want to watch in New Orleans Pelicans games other than Brandon Ingram and Herb Jones. You're right. You're right. And Zion just changes that entirely. Exactly. Um, let's go to most overrated teams 
Um, and this one's kind of tough for me because the the way the standings are looking right now, there it's a pretty clear gap between the best of the best and everybody else. Yeah. Um, I think. I mean, if I'm if I'm gonna go two teams that I think are overrated, uh, the Knicks and the Celtics come to mind okay. as teams that people see hovering around 500, and they think like, you know what? If they just get their shit together, they'll be able to figure it out. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't think this is the year for either of them. Yeah, you, you're talking to the false hope type of thing that Knicks and Celtics fans have. Like, oh, just give it time. Once yeah, this yeah, yeah. Out, we'll be a three seed type thing. Right, yes. And that is, uh, you know, wrong. I, I think that's definitely wrong. I think maybe the most overrated team in the league right now is the Utah Jazz. I That was my answer. Um, and I'll, I'll talk about why, man. They seem to... They're a team that's always got some weird, like, subtweeting drama issues going on, people complaining about lack of effort. Rudy Gobert the other day talked about um, – he said, you know, you look out at the West and you look out at the other teams right now, and the other guards, they're playing defense. Devin Booker is putting in his most effort on defense. Uh, I think he called out another guard, like maybe Steph Curry or something, putting in most his max effort on defense. And he said, you know, we're just not seeing that. And that's as much of a call out of Donovan Mitchell as you can possibly make without just saying Donovan Mitchell sucks on defense that I think this, you know, 28 and 14 record that they have is a little bit fake. They're a team with great shooters and an all world defender in Rudy Gobert. Um, But I don't think anybody thinks of them as a team with any sort of real hopes anymore. Yeah. I'm with you on that. I think, in Gobert's statement, he was right. Um, I've been watching Utah Jazz games all of a sudden, and it's been in Rudy Gobert's absence, and I notice a glaring lack of effort on the defensive end. What they do is they basically say, Rudy can do all the defense. We're going to focus on the points. And I think that's a scumbag move, and I think it's a really good way to never win a championship. Um, Donovan Mitchell gets a lot of credit for being the best shooting guard of the league or one of the best shooting guards in the league. I think that's justified, but is he a championship player that comes to my mind? Can he be a number one option? Because I've watched this team lose to the Pistons. I've watched this team lose to my Cavs by 20. Um, Without Rudy Gobert, this team looks like a joke, completely honest. Uh, They don't even look competitive. Um, They, they, uh, low effort, no passing. I mean, it's it's hilarious to watch. You see Jordan Clarkson do 400 spin moves into the paint and then throw up a layup over the backboard. Um, Donovan Mitchell is a very special player, and I'm not going to slander him too much because he does have a ton of offensive load on his plate. So maybe he doesn't have to play defense as much, but Devin Booker has a lot of offensive load on his plate. Uh, Kawhi, he plays defense. You have guys who are very, Giannis, we have a ton of players that are very willing to play defense, even though their offensive load is very high. And I think that might just be a mindset thing. It's a how bad do you want it thing. We saw it from him against the Nuggets. He put up like 350-point games in a playoff series. That's excellent. We know he can do shit like that. It's going to take more from the surrounding cast, playing on the defensive end of the ball, giving a shit about the tiny things to win a championship or even be considered in that conversation. I think nobody actually puts them in that conversation like, oh, the Jazz are championship contenders. No, they're not. They're not. 
everyone knows it too. It's Phoenix, Golden State, Chicago, the Nets, the Bucks. Those are the teams that we know can actually make a push to the finals. I think everybody counts Utah Jazz out in good reason. Yeah. Yeah, man. They are, they are one of those teams that's really just built for the regular season. Um, and it is because of the effort level of their non-centers. Um, Donovan Mitchell is not the only guy on this team that only cares about offense. Boyan Bogdanovich is just big. He's just large. He does not know how to guard people and he doesn't care to learn. Uh, Jordan Clarkson's another one of their impact guys uh, whose game is all about not playing defense. He is literally just offense. Um, Mike Conley, great, great facilitator, really great shooter, great to floater game, always has been, doesn't play defense. Um, all the guys that they rely on to score just funnel people into the lane for Rudy Gobert. Um, and I can't imagine how frustrating that's got to be for him, especially with the amount of baggage that he has gotten over the past couple of years to be the only reason that their team's defense is passable. And then to be treated like crap and to be treated like your ass as a defender. It's I, I can't imagine. Um, they're a team. Yeah. That I'm expecting a blow up pretty soon. I'm expecting like a, they think of themselves as championship worthy and then they get knocked in the first round by a team with no hopes uh, and some shit's got to change. Yeah. I, it's going to come down to their playoff performance this year, because how many times are you going to run back the same team over and over and over again and expect a different result, right? Mm -hmm. Definition of insanity. I don't think they're going to put up with it for too much longer. I do want to give a shout out to another team for being overrated. And that's the Brooklyn Nets. People are probably going to squint their eyes or cringe when they hear that. But like I said, for the Lakers, Injury prone becomes a part of your identity and it needs to be mentioned with this team. KD rolled his knee or whatever last night. He's going to be out for four to six weeks. Kyrie hasn't played in the playoffs, a full playoffs since I think his run with Cleveland in 2016, Mm -hmm. he gets injured every single playoffs. James Harden had his first major injury of his career last year. And now he's 20 pounds overweight heading in this whole entire season he hasn't been able to take the weight off so i look into the future and i think if all these players are healthy it's the easiest championship other than the warriors with the kd version right it's it's the most duh no-brainer give the championship to the nets if they're all healthy situation in the league however they're never fucking healthy ever 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 kd tours achilles he missed that whole year He was healthy all last year, but now they're playing him 38 minutes a night and then he rolls his knee. There's going to be ramifications to how much KD's playing. Kyrie only plays on the road, so he's kind of like he's hurt anyway because he's not playing in the games. And I mentioned the weight issue with James Harden. I just think they're overrated because there's no way they stay healthy this rest of the year. I I just, it's very, I, I just don't think it's possible. That's, that was my issue with the Nets last year. Um, and I kind of, for some reason, wrote it off this year because I just saw how much how well they're able to coast in the regular season, even missing some of their top players. Um, but when we're talking like playoff hopes, you're absolutely right that they can't rely on James Harden and Kevin Durant to stay healthy. Um, 
Kevin Durant, man. Kyrie. Kyrie, Kyrie worse, yeah. Kyrie worse than Harden. I mean, Kyrie's hurt every year, every regular season and every playoffs. I kind of forgot about him as a player, um, like, for this team. Like, yeah. th- there's some there's some places that they could go. If they end up playing Toronto, Kyrie won't play the entire series. He can't go travel to Canada. Um, so, I, I mean, like, you know, he is a part-time player right now. Um, and I can't imagine what that does to your morale or to, your, like, your team chemistry. Kevin Durant and James Harden are two top five uh, – are in the top five right now, both of them for minutes played um at 37 minutes each um not sustainable of course these guys who are both in their early 30s who have been in the league for you know over a decade at this point their bodies are not going to be able to handle that and then be ready to go in the playoffs um it's how i feel about lebron now like this sort of energy that he's putting in is not sustainable. There's no chance that if they make it to the playoffs and he's got to play like that the entire regular season, that they're going to be all right. Um, You know, the Nets have a lot of talented guys. Patty Mills has been playing some of his best basketball ever. Um, He's shooting 42% from three on eight attempts a game, which is just mind bogglingly stupid. Um, But you know, other than that, man, once you get past their best five or six guys, there's really nobody here that matters. Um, they play well together. I think Steve Nash is a good coach, but with one of those big two of Harden and Durant being injured, they don't have real playoff chances. And and that's kind of why I think they're overrated. We saw last year, it was KD and a bunch of bums versus Giannis and the Bucks, And we knew the Bucks had the upper hand right Mm -hmm. if it comes down to Kyrie and a bunch of bums versus the Bucks that's a done series that's a sweep if it's James Harden and a bunch of bums you can see maybe them winning one or two games but you don't actually have a shot to win yeah and um I think that's unfortunately because I want to see them all on the court together that it's just one of the most exciting things to watch but I just don't see it happening. I don't see them being healthy for 16 straight games together. Yeah, that is a lot to ask for. Um, And it's a lot to ask on top of that, that if they do get hurt, that it's some minor injury that keeps them out a game or two. Um, Because you saw what they tried to try to do with James Harden. He was hobbling. He was, you know, he had one and a half legs. Um, And they were leaving him out there because they needed him. Because that's how important he is. Even a hobbled, Uh, barely able to jog up and down the floor. James Harden is more valuable to them than the rest of their guys healthy. Um, Yeah. They, they are built to fail. um, If just one thing goes wrong. Yeah. So let's wrap up this episode with the most entertaining and the least entertaining. I'll go first. This is a no brainer for me. It might be different for you, but golden state, has got to be the most entertaining. The way they move the ball, the three-point shooting from Curry, Draymond, I love the way he plays defense. Every once in a while, they'll put Kaminga in and he'll do some crazy shit. You have Otto Porter hitting big shots. You have Andre Iguodala throwing 40-foot behind-the-back passes. Um, it, it's just, uh, they're just one of the most unique teams in the league. Their culture is so based off of creativity and fun. You can feel it through the screen. I love watching the Warriors. The Warriors are an obvious first choice. Um, Steph Curry has been slumping recently, man. Like in a way that I don't think other big name stars would get away with. 
Um, you know, hitting one for 10 threes in back-to-back games um, at when you're freaking Steph Curry is not something that people would allow from other guys. Yeah. Um, but I mean, despite that, they're still cruising. They're still crushing. They're getting production out of everybody. They're getting fun minutes out of everybody. Uh, they're definitely an obvious first choice. I want to give a shout out to the Charlotte Hornets, um, mm. who I think just because LaMelo Ball is their point guard are going to be a top three most entertaining team in the league uh, forever. Um, the, he's LaMelo has kind of been reined in a little bit by James Borrego on some of the riskier pass plays that he likes to make. Um, and the shot attempts that he goes for, I've, I've seen less of those from him this year. Um, we saw, I, I, I'm sure everybody saw the between the legs oop that he threw to Miles Bridges the other day. Um, he is, you know, just entertaining showstopper always. You always want to tune in to see what LaMelo Ball is going to do next. And the fact that they are a top five offense and they got the second fastest pace in the league um they're just go 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 on offense and they are so fun to watch yeah I I think that's a pretty solid choice one of my new year's resolution resolutions was actually to watch more Hornets games in 2022 so I'll be doing that uh for the least entertaining team for me personally it's the Houston Rockets um I tried to tune in to Jalen Green when he came back from his injury to look like to watch and see how he did it is the worst display of basketball in the NBA right now. It's all, I want my points. I want my points. Oh, give it to me. It's my turn to score. It's uh, it's pretty disgusting. And it's clearly breeding a losing culture, as we saw with Christian Wood and KPJ, what they did a few nights ago. Um, it's just a bunch of selfish players all thrown onto the same team. And um, it, it's just disgusting. It's disgusting. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, they're, they're really terrible. The bottom barrel teams like that. I mean, the Pistons are another name you could throw in there without Cade. There's not a single reason to watch a second of Detroit basketball. Correct. Um, The Thunder, Shea Gilgis Alexander hasn't been great. And like you see flashes that make you pretty impressed, Um, but it's not worth sticking through for those flashes. Um, Mm -hmm. I do think the clear answer for the least entertaining team in the league is Houston. Um, Their defensive rating is dead last in the league. And that's not an accident. They are awful. Um, it's an effort thing on top of an abilities thing. Um, they're just not fun. You know, it's not something you want to watch. They have the fastest pace in the league and it's not because that that's, what's well suited to their players. I think it's because it looks a little better. Um, when you just sprint down, throw up a shot, get back on the defense. Um, you don't have a lot of time to really show off your failings as an offensive player when your pace is the fastest in the league. Um, there's nothing really hopeful about this team. I thought Christian Wood was going to be better this year than he was last year. Um, he was putting up 20 and 10 in the games that he was healthy last year. Um, and he, he seems like he wants out, man. He seems like he feels trapped there. Everybody, nobody on this team really looks like they're having a good time. I will say, Eric Gordon somehow is finding a way to shoot 46% from the three-point line on five attempts a game. Best player on their team. Not close. Yeah. Yeah. The only one worth like tuning in for sometimes, man. You see a couple of good highlights from Jalen Green a game, 
Um, but it seems like he forgets that people watch him play defense too. I, I don't, it's weird. Like I, I'm starting to, I don't hate Jalen green. I don't, but the way he plays basketball is like, it's the same way Cam Thomas for the Brooklyn Nets plays basketball. And he got chosen 27th in the draft and he's giving you exactly what Jalen green's giving you. It's like, what a waste of a number one, a number two overall pick in such a loaded draft. Cause I'm looking at Jalen Green's stats here. He has more turnovers than assists. He gives you three rebounds a game. He's one of the worst defenders in the entire league and his efficiency is shit. I'm trying to figure out like what value he provides. I, I think he's going to end up being a good player. I think he's going to score 25 points per game at one point. Me and you are both still on that track. It's just, what else does he do? I don't know. Um, this team, and I don't think the culture of the Rockets is helping him at all. No. Like if you were to put Jalen Green on the Warriors, I think he would be having an excellent rookie year. I think his numbers would absolutely be up. I think they would pull him from games if he wasn't playing defense and he would be held accountable for not being good on defense. Instead, they're just saying, hey, buddy, throw up every shot imaginable. Throw up any shot you feel like. Don't feel like, don't feel pressured to pass to your teammates when they're open. Don't even worry about it. Just have fun out there and try to put up as many points as you can. And I think that's a horrible way to teach someone how to play basketball. I agree. I I 100% agree. Um, He is third last on his own team in offensive rating. And he is third last on his own team in defensive rating. Um, He's not bringing anything except for highlight plays and potential. Yeah. Um, and, you know, watching the seven guys drafted around him um, and watching the way that they've been playing this year, it does unfortunately seem pretty obvious that Houston made the wrong call. Um, they had so much worry about how are we going to put Mobley next to Christian Wood? How is that ever going to work out? And you see the trees over in Cleveland with Jared Allen and Mobley, and you see that they are the two, like two of the top five best rim protectors in basketball right now. Um, You can't go wrong adding a unicorn to your team unless you're garbage and you don't know how to build around it. Maybe it's for the best that Evan Mobley is not in Houston right now. I I think it is for sure for the best for Evan Mobley, at least. Um, And there were articles coming out around draft time that, oh, Mobley's going to go third now because the Rockets were blown away by Jalen Green in a workout. Mm-hmm. I totally can see that happening. Bombing threes in an empty gym. Doing 360 in between the uh, legs, dunks on the break. And mm-hmm. I, could so, I could totally see how a GM would be like, wow, that is insane. But basketball is a team game. And I think people forget that sometimes. As much as stars control the league, they do need teammates around them to win games. I think Eric Gordon and Christian Wood will probably be shipped at the trade deadline. I mean, if I'm the Cleveland Cavs, I give up a protected first for Eric Gordon pretty easily. Um, Three-point shooting, defense, he's the best player on that team. I'm going to want to throw a first-round pick at you. If you're the Lakers, I absolutely try to throw Taylor Horton Tucker at the Rockets for Eric Gordon. I don't care how old he is. I want him on my team. Um, Or Christian Wood, to be honest. Maybe you could do Anthony Davis. Christian Wood, LeBron, just trees. They could do their shot at the Cleveland Cavs lineup, right? Just yeah. like the huge dudes. Um, but yeah, this team's going to look a lot different at the trade deadline, I think, or they should at least. But yeah, that they're the worst watch. I, I suggest no one watches them. Yeah, I don't think there's anybody that's really that close. I mean, the Orlando Magic are 8-36, and 36, 
And basically every time the ball is not in Franz Wagner or Cole Anthony's hands, you might as well turn off the TV. Um, but I think watching the Rockets actually upsets people. I, I definitely felt that way. I just felt angry watching the potential of Jalen Green be wasted. I'm angry watching Kevin Porter Jr. try to be a point guard for some reason. Um, at least you can see the direction that Orlando is going in. One of my least favorite basketball takes I've ever made in my entire life is that Kevin Porter Jr. would win most improved. Mm. That is one of the worst basketball takes I've ever had in my life. Yeah, ice cold. Ice I mean, cold. <laughs> who could have known, man? He, he just not a point guard, not a dude who the ball should be in your hands. Yeah. Before we tune out, I want to ask, what's one of your worst basketball takes like that you've ever had? Do you have one that really stands out to you? One that comes to mind. I mean, I, I uh, am stupid high on guys when they get drafted and then I end up looking pretty stupid. Yeah. Uh, I think you could go back to some of my Homer takes from some Celtics draft picks. Oh yeah. yeah. Um, and about how those guys were like too big to fail. Aaron Neesmith, Romeo Langford, those guys, you know, have a place in this league forever type of thing. Yeah. Um, I, Man, I mean, the Russell Westbrook take I had this year might be one of my worst of recent memory. That's fair. <laughs> I, I was a believer for no reason. Yeah, my worst by far is I thought Mario Hazonia was going to be an all-star type. <laughs> that is my worst by far. I think I just shut the bad thoughts, shut the bad takes out of my head as soon as they don't come true. Yeah. I'm 100% on the takes that I remember. Right, exactly. <laughs> All right, guys, thank you for listening. This was a really fun episode. It's uh, good to update you guys on the halfway point. I'm sure we'll do something very similar to this when the season comes to a conclusion. Um, ben, do you have anything to say before we get on out of here? Uh, I don't think anything. Thanks, everybody, for listening in. We'll see you later. Peace. Thanks, everybody, for listening in. If you want to interact with us at The Chase Down, make sure to find us on Instagram, Twitter, and Blogger at The Chase Down Pod to join the conversation. Peace, everybody.